You are listening to the Gen Zen Broadcasting System. Hi, spots and cheap pops. And it is Silicon Steve Valley. It is Friday. It's a SmackDown and Rampage Friday. And we are here to talk about the state of professional wrestling. Some of the great things that happened throughout the week. Some of the great things that happened, obviously, since our last episode dropped. We want to thank all the new subscribers on our YouTube page. We want to thank all the new listeners on our, our Spotify. Really starting to pop. Things are starting to cultivate. Oh, yeah. And want to thank Macho Man Randy Savage for coming by, of course, the other day. That's been a very, very popular one. People seem to like that one. Uh, we're going to keep on getting better. There's a lot of things on the horizon for high spots and cheap pops. Uh, we're going to talk today. The big story out of yesterday, obviously, is going to be Dark Side of the Ring and the steroid trial of 1994. And I think a lot of people, of course, the trial that had Vince McMahon against the federal government and how Vince McMahon, so very often during his heel days, uh, is, 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 you know, working heel days. He's doing a really good shoot heel these days. Uh, <laughs> he famously said, I, I, beat the, I beat the United States government. I did it, damn it, nobody else. And what this episode had really proven to me was how good a lawyer McDevitt is. McDevitt is an absolute legend. I mean, and the things that he was coming up with seemed like it was so easy. Uh, the first thing that I didn't know was how Hulk Hogan, that's how Hulk Hogan got out of testifying. If you don't know, the story goes is there was a, a Dr. Laria was working for WWE. He was the one that was providing the steroids to all the wrestlers, or a lot of them anyway, not all of them. Don't want to it sued, but he was providing it. He got caught. And story goes is that steroids was just becoming a big thing. Lyle Alzado, I think, just died or just got uh, just got diagnosed with cancer. And so steroids was a really, really big deal. And there were a lot of areas steroids were killing at, all over the place. The first one was the NFL, obviously. And then baseball had their problem, which we know very much about a couple of years later. Baseball is a little bit behind the curve because steroids in baseball wasn't considered a thing that would really matter that much. Mark McGuire would be a Hall of Famer if it wasn't, if he wasn't accused of doing steroids and didn't admit to doing steroids. But he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer without the steroids. So you can see the position. If you didn't think you were going to get caught, and professional wrestling is not one of competition. It's one of how you look. So you can make the argument it's even less scrupulous to do it to be a professional wrestler. And at the time, the professional wrestlers were taking these steroids. They were not even illegal. Um, however, they became illegal and a lot of people needed to come down on somebody. And who was the person to come down? Vince McMahon. They weren't going to come down the NFL owners. Those are really big fish to go after. At the time, Vince McMahon wasn't a billionaire. The attitude error didn't happen yet. He's still just trying to coast as much as he can off of WrestleMania. This is a completely different entity than what the WWE is now. And very likely, if Vince McMahon did go to jail, even though I don't believe he should have, Vince McMahon did go to jail, WWE probably wouldn't have survived it. And if it did, it wouldn't have been the same. But who knows? He would have been out by early 2000s. WCW certainly would still be in business, wouldn't they? Little things how life could have changed everything. But anyway, so Dr. Zalaria gets caught and Vince McMahon wants it. Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan goes on the sitting hall. The day the guy gets completely dead to rights, they had everything they need, but something happened at the end of his trial. His lawyer trying to do something to skirt any responsibility, they say, well, Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon bought their steroids from him as well. Which, by the way, is very true and probably very, at least very believable, if not true. Because Vince McMahon did do steroids. We know that. We know this. He didn't discourage it. We know this too, but he didn't sell them. 
So anyway, they had this chart. So anyway, after the lawyer brings up Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan, federal government's like, Aha! so we can't go after our buddies because too much money comes out of the NFL to us in some weird way, hypothetically, in my opinion of speaking. But you can't come down on the NFL. It's too popular, too powerful. You're not going to try to take, I think, Pete Rozelle at the time. Or Paul Tagliabue, one of those two guys. You're not taking one of them to court. Vince McMahon, though, little bit. He's a little fish. So Jerry McDevitt gets hired, and by Vince McMahon when he, who was already hired by Vince McMahon, and Jerry McDevitt is as good of a lawyer as you'll ever see. That's how. That's what I got from this biography. I don't know if it's true or not, but. It was definitely telling. So story goes, Hogan does not testify. Somehow he pulls it out of the church because if Hulk Hogan testified and he was a, a witness and he was excused. So he Hogan was subpoenaed to testify in the case with this doctor. And so long story short, Nick Devitt got Hogan out of it because Zalaria was actually a a personal had dealt with Hogan from a personal standpoint. So that would be doctor patient privilege. And so McDevitt got Hogan excused from having to testify because when he did take those steroids, when he was alleged to have done those steroids, the steroids, I guess, were illegal to take. That's how I understood it from McDevitt, listening to what he was saying last night. Uh, McDevitt did a Look, if you believe everything that this really awesome lawyer says, then McDevitt and Vincent Mann, you think are angels here. But what have you. So we go on with the case. And obviously, as you know, at the end of that case, Zalaria's lawyer says, McMahon and, and Hogan gets their drugs from, from my, 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 from. So the, so once they realize that Hogan and McMahon are on the radar they're like, okay, these are two of the biggest people in the industry of professional wrestling. These guys are good scapegoats to tattoo everything and spout steroids on here. Now we can forget about that pesky Lyle Alzado. Look it up. Look up Lyle Alzado. Great, great defensive player for the Oakland Raiders and LA Raiders, respectively. Are you done looking it up? I'm just kidding. So they decide to go after Vince McMahon, and the case is bullshit to begin with. You can tell from left and right. So what, what you got from the case was they were trying to get this little area where Vince McMahon acknowledged and did not discourage steroid use with that doctor's area after whatever. The, 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 McDevitt was trying to make it like the doctor was – testified against his will that's probably not i mean i'm sure they wanted him to testify don't get me wrong i'm sure they did certain things but to sit there and suggest the guy was treated like shit for 44 days it was like solitary confinement it was he wasn't in the hole i think of solitary confinement i'm thinking of andy dufresne with a beard finding out that his friend just got whacked you know what i mean this was not that situation. McDevitt tried to play it out like that and try to make Vince McMahon look as, as innocent as possible. That's what he's supposed to do. McDevitt's a great lawyer. You're not a great lawyer unless you lie. And McDevitt's really good at it. And he was, whatever. This is the bottom line here. And so it goes to, the bottom line is, is that Vince McMahon knew it was all going on, encouraged it, and took part in it. But he didn't sell it. Everybody was doing it on their own free accord. But if you look jacked up, Vince might like you a little bit more. If you lifted with Vince, he might like you a little bit more. If you did cherries with him, like Terry Boulay, Hulk Hogan did. Vince McMahon was almost like one of the guys. Don't forget how obsessed he was with bodybuilding. This motherfucker thought he was going to get a bodybuilding company off the ground. Idiot. I'm going to cut that one out. I shouldn't call Vince McMahon a fucking idiot. He's smarter than Oliver Bay. But so that's what the situation was. And they brought a couple guys up here and there, here and there. Everyone's saying, no, Vince McMahon never sold us or, or told us to do, we need to do steroids or cost us our job. That was the thing. No one said Vince didn't know about it. 
Nobody said that Vince didn't do them. Nobody said that Vince didn't do it with them. Nobody said any of that. But that's not that's not something that you would spend millions and millions of dollars, which our government did, to try to bury Vince. Of all the shitty things Vince McMahon has done in the world, that what he was accused of in that case was not one of them. So we know what happens. Hulk Hogan testifies, clears Vince's name. Uh, a bunch of other wrestlers testified. The big one was Nails, who apparently was so stupid, didn't know what the word animosity meant. When the fe- and I forget her name, and I apologize. Lauren something, I believe. The, uh, the, the other counsel, the woman on the team who actually represented Hulk- Vince McMahon personally and, and Jerry McDevitt had actually represented WWE. So it was two different defenses, one for Vince and one for WWE. And it was a really smart reason for it. McDevitt said, because he couldn't, he already argued for Vince in a similar, in, in a different matter. That's similar. That was related to this one. He couldn't represent Vince, but he can represent WWE brings in a woman who was a phenomenal cross examiner. And there were a couple damaging things that just sounded like it was too perfect and too weird nails. And I forget his real name, but Nails had said, yes, this man threatened to dismiss me if I didn't do steroids. And it was clearly bullshit. He, and then the woman's like, do you have any animosity toward Vince McMahon? He's like, kind of looked at you, said no. And then she directed the honor. He doesn't know what animosity is. Do you, do you hate Vince McMahon? Yes, I hate Vince McMahon. So... It was really, it was a joke. It sounded like it was an absolute joke. And McDevitt famously said in this, this episode, I don't know if it's famously, it should be. He said, I wasn't where, I didn't spend one minute thinking about us losing. And it didn't sound like there was ever a chance. The, the former assistant of Vince McMahon, who also had some book deals working out and all these other kind of things. There were some interesting things that happened. Uh, we certainly could touch on Vince McMahon being embarrassed on national television by Azario and Dave Meltzer. Azario said, hey, look, or Zari, he said, hey, look, you know, you said you were devastated Hulk Hogan and what he did on Arsenia. It wasn't truthful. And McMahon was like, I didn't say I was devastated. I never said devastated. Went shaking his head like this. And then Meltzer's right next to him, like, well, that's the exact word you use. And she saw it on his face, like, okay. But I mean, Vin, we know Vince is a liar. He's a ruthless businessman. And we know that he's a phony when it comes to a lot of things, when it comes to legalities. He's a boomer. That's how big boomers did business. Boomers do business like that. They don't think lying, if it's business, it doesn't matter as long as you beat the other guy. So Vince doesn't care if he lied. We knew he was a liar. So there was no big revelations that came out here. I think a lot of people were coming into this thinking the dark side of the ring, steroid trial, it's going to blow the roof off. We we thought maybe it would be even worse in terms of bombshells and revelations than the plane ride from hell. I don't believe that was the case in this at all. The only thing I'll say that I, I got out of it, a couple details here and there. Um, certainly uh, the detail about Azaria trying to say that he was, had guys showed up at his house. So he didn't even see, his mother did. I mean, there was a lot of bullshit, I thought. I, I thought Azari was, you know, kind of a hack, Mark Hack. He's been doing a wrestling. What kind of loser does a wrestling talk show? Anyway, so that was my big takeaway. So what the, the bottom line here is, is that, and you saw the picture that McDevitt was playing. Jerry McDevitt was very good at laying out the facts. He was like being a lawyer. It was probably fun for him to relive these great ideas that he had and he was able to beat the federal government. I mean, that's something to stick in your hat. He mentioned it. He said statistically, he looked. And you talk about doing your due diligence. This guy found out everything he needed to about steroids just to help his client out. The battle tooth and nail. And the debit wound up handling so many things for Vince McMahon over the years. Obviously did the Chris Benoit situation, did the Owen Hart situation and everything in between. And so what you get from that, even though it was a a probable win, it still was a very big win for Vince McMahon. Obviously kept him out of jail. Hulk Hogan was said that it wasn't for him. Yeah, if Hulk Hogan lied on the stand and said Vince McMahon sold him the drugs, yeah, Vince McMahon went to jail, but... I don't think Hulk Hogan seemed like he he was trying to get credit for telling the truth and not putting a man in jail. 
And it's a good thing he didn't because I don't, does the wrestling business survive without Vince McMahon? And that brings me to my last point when I'm going to talk about this. I kill Vince McMahon on the show. If you watch this, I destroy Vince McMahon. I have a video named Fuck You Vince. That being said, there is nothing that can quantify the importance he had on this industry. There is nothing that we can say or do, no matter the biggest attractors of Vince McMahon. If we're going to be completely honest with him, and we know here on High Spots and Cheap Pops, honesty is the number one priority. We're not going to bullshit you. We don't have an agenda. We want professional wrestling, WWE and AEW. We want it all to be great. We want everyone to make money. I want to make money reporting on it. I want to get back in professional wrestling and maybe be a manager for some one really talented and lucky son of a bitch who I decided to take under my way. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that yet. But the Kings of the Valley will ride again. But that's a whole other story. The fact remains is that Vince McMahon won this battle and he should have. He was the underdog because it was the U.S. government. Obviously, when the game started, we knew it was over. We knew Vince didn't have anything because they didn't have anything on him. It was literally a witch hunt. Of all the shitty things Vince McMahon in his work life that he didn't pay for, this was not one of them. This was, this was a guy who just loved bodybuilding, who encouraged and loved steroids. Hey, guys, let's go do some steroids. Now, you can argue. This is where we can argue. Before we get into what we can argue about, but make no mistake, Vince McMahon, it is a very damn good thing that that man didn't go to jail because there would have been a lot of entertainment and a lot of moments that we never got. So with that, after the previous dark side of the ring, I say kudos to you, Vince McMahon, for beating the government. The government said, we're going to try to take this man down. We don't like the way he does business. We don't like his arrogance. We don't like the way he looks at his daughter. We don't. Just kidding. Yeah, I'm getting, a, I'm getting confused. Somebody else likes to pretend to make out with his daughter. Um, I'm going to edit that whole thing out. Um, <laughs> so my point is here, folks. Uh, Vince McMahon deserves a lot of credit. We give him a lot of grief. And there is millions of people all over the internet who try to take a shot. And I'm one of them, by the way. But I will be honest. And Vince McMahon stood tall, got some great lawyers to help him, and he beat the United States government. And then he was able to give us some of the best professional wrestling moments we've ever seen. He can call it sports entertainment all he wants. It was always, it's always professional wrestling. So I'm very grateful for Jared McDevitt in that instance. I'm sure it'll be consistent. Next week, we talk about Owen Hart's death. I'm just kidding. Jokes. How do you pull the show out of that fucking hole? Well, you take a hit of this great marijuana brought to you by Kripnops. So... But the bottom line is our biggest takeaways here, folks. Biggest takeaways, Vince did the exact same thing that Major League Baseball owners did and the NFL owners did. Maybe he took it a step further with participation with it. But at the end of the day, they were making money, they were looking good, and they were performing well, just like fucking Sammy Sosa, just like Lyle Alzado, just like Barry Bonds, just like Mark McGuire. Just like a ton of other NFL players. That list is wit. I mean, the both lists are, I'd be here all day if I had to name all the people. If it's steroids illegally and uh, against, you know, to cheat and, and look better. I give it a little bit of a pass for the WWE because that's presentation. It's not really, it's not really a competition. You know, however, if you're in the WWE and you look like a million bucks opposed to Bret Hart, well, Bret Hart's not going to get a push until steroids is a thing, right? Or Shawn Michaels, for that matter. That wasn't a coincidence that Bret Hart got the titles that quickly, folks. Everyone knows they went smaller for a reason. That was right around 93, 94, 95. You know. So, very good dark side of the ring. But if you were looking for bombshells, for those of you who didn't watch it, if you're looking for bombshells, no bombshells, really. Um, you do come away. Just basically, it was kind of like... 
if when WikiLeaks drops and tells you something about somebody, it's like, well, we always knew that kind of. Now we just got confirmation. Same kind of vibe here. We knew Jerry McDevitt was a great lawyer, i.e. a great liar. And he was able to paint the picture beautifully to make Vince McMahon a, a, a victim in this situation. And guess what? Vince McMahon was a victim in this situation. And there was one touching moment with McDevitt. He talked about Stephanie and he got really choked up because she was really upset. And you, you got to kind of feel for Stephanie hearing and at the time what she was 92, so 94. So she must have been a mid teenager, maybe in college. And she was crying. I guess she was really upset. Jerry McDevitt consoled her and consoled her. And it's just such like a movie. He's like, hey, you didn't see me do this yet. Then she looks up. She's like, okay. And then you hear the music go off as he walks into the courtroom. And Jerry McDevitt crushed his closing, as many people say, even though uh, Sean O'Shea, the prosecutor, apparently cut one of the best wrestling promos ever. I, I wish there was a... I really do honestly wish there was a video of that. I don't know. I've never seen it, but I hear it was one of the great wrestling promos of all time. Sean O'Shea. It started really calm. And at the end, it was just basically saying that a lot of truths about Vince McMahon, but none to get him thrown in jail. Very interesting. So, and uh, McDevitt got caught, choked up when he was telling that story. So, you know, you, you like moments like that. I think we really dehumanize the McMahons so often. Um, I do. I don't really with uh, Stephanie because everything she does outside of the ring just seems to benefit the human race. Just her attitude about things. Uh, strong woman. It's great to see that as a, as a father to a little girl. So I, I love Steph Stephanie McMahon, the person I absolutely love. I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not going to go into what kind of job she does because I don't know. Um, but I, I love Stephanie in terms of uh, just the way I think her her. She doesn't have to pay for the sins of her father or anybody else in her family for that matter. And tears to you, Steph, you know? And so that was a really nice moment to bring her involved with that young Stephanie, who's grown up to be a very strong, awesome lady and Jerry McDevitt to uh, consoling her. And then Jerry McDevitt goes in and maybe with her on the mind, on the brain, absolutely crushes his closing. And they wound up, uh, you know, and funny story though, I will say this. So the, there was an idea. Vince McMahon wore a neck brace because he had a neck problem, apparently. And he wore it during the court case. And it makes sense. He wore it during the court case because he wasn't going to be on TV. And he said that was a good time to have surgery or whatever happened. So it made sense, but come on. We know Vince McMahon better than that. He's not wearing a fucking neck brace and looking weak in any other position he's in. And that's when I knew Jeremy McDevitt's full of shit. He's like, oh, no, no, he was really hurt. And then after that night, and then so McDevitt tells a story after Vince is wearing this neck brace to court every day during this trial. McDevitt goes to Vince. They're drinking, having a couple cocktails. And McDevitt says to Vince, he's like, hey, uh, you, you won the case. You can take your neck brace off. And Vince takes it off and goes like that. And apparently that was just a joke, but could you, I mean, is that the most professional wrestling? It's so much how life art, life imitates art with Vince McMahon. In more ways than one, but that's a whole other story in a video we're working on. On to AEW Dynamite and a couple big takeaways from that. The big one I'm going to start out with, I want to talk about the main event and I want to talk about the first thing I want to talk about. I'm switching pens because this pen is a lot better. Cody Rhodes promo. If anyone has listened to this show, they know for a fact I have never been kind to Cody. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I have not always been kind to Cody. When he wasn't cutting his promos, he was only getting on TV once every couple months and having shitty angles and shitty spots. I mean, he does, the reason he was being booed is because people didn't think he was putting the on-screen work. I mean, he was the hottest baby face in the company two years ago. Now, eh, he's getting booed out of the building. And everybody and their mother thought he was turning, including myself. The back of my head said, there's something about him, though, that he said he was never going to turn. I want to know why. He wouldn't say that in these interviews unless there was a reason. So when he said that, I was like, maybe he won't turn. 
I thought he was going to beat Malachi Black. But when he cut that, when I did see the quote in the interview about how he's not going to turn heel, I changed my mind on that. So he winds up beating Malachi Black. Very good match. Great match. And at the end of the match, he wins with a, nine, a Tiger Driver 98, which is a double underhook up and down. Cody, back in Ring of Honor days, used to hit a move that we know now as the pedigree. I forgot who did it, but something to do with a throne being hit with a sledgehammer. And it was toward the end of the match. Cody had already had Malachi Black on the ropes, already hit him with a, a crossroads. Gets him in a double underhook, almost like a pedigree, but then he hits him with a Tiger Driver 98, gets the pinfall, which, by the way, I like that aspect of that match because that very old school WCW, old school WCW, it, the matches would not usually end with the finisher. It would usually be a, a violent body slam or a violent even clothesline. Now, this is going back in the mid-'80s, but it wasn't the finishers always. So a little bite up of that, still a great move to finish, followed up by a crossroads. And it also builds anticipation for other matches now, moving forward. When they do a couple of these, because now, well, maybe maybe a Tiger Driver 98 will work. When it, it might not have ever worked. In WWE, no one would ever win with a Tiger Driver 98, unless it was their finisher. You know? In w, AEW, people have a couple, they, people, not just Cody, but a couple people win in different ways, not just with the two finishers, They'll win with a really good, solid move. It doesn't happen often, but it happens. So I like that finish. So anyway, after Cody wins, the crowd somewhat cheering for him, mostly booing. He comes out on Dynamite for a promo. And Arn Anderson comes out. Arn Anderson now, folks, coming out from the heel tunnel. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it says. Where do they switch this week? Never mind. Tell me, I'm just gonna have to look at the So he calls our so he calls Arn Anderson out. And Anderson and he are together. Cody cuts a promo and they're booing the shit out of him before he even says anything. And this promo by Cody Rhodes, wow. It did, I believe, everything that he wanted to achieve. It was honest, and it made a point. And he, he said a lot of great things, folks, and it was just great promo by Cody. And the overall vibe was, hey, look, I'm not turning heel because it would be too easy. And it would be. We're all begging him to turn heel, just like we were begging Cena and we were begging Roman Reigns. And if Cody turned heel, he's right. That would have been easy. He'd be booed out of the building and then start being cheered in three or four months. And then, you know, he would be have mixed reactions. And, be he, you know, he'd be like a, a, a tweener probably, kind of how he was toward the end of his Ring of Honor run. So he, he said that would be too easy, and it would be. He's already getting monster heat. If he turned heel, he would get, I mean, he'd be palpable. So he comes out and he says, as we alluded to the finish with the Tiger Driver 98, he said, there was this brief moment I, I, I had him and I finished him in a Tiger Driver 98, but I had to, I hooked one arm and then I hooked the other arm and there was a completely different move I was thinking of hitting. And yeah, he was talking about the pedigree, which is, which he has referenced Triple H, any chance he wants to piss the crowd off, he used to do that all the time. Then I'd get up and, and then he kind of made fun of Triple H. Then I'd get up and snarl and all that. And it would be too easy. And that is so right. Cody doesn't want to do it. That's not the and that's not the character arc of what was planned. And Cody's like, no, I'm not, I'm not selling out like that. I'm not giving in like that. I'm gonna tell my story. I'm gonna play my music. And by the way, the only reason Cody's getting booed is because he wasn't putting, it's not because he sucks. It's not because people hate him just because he's Cody. He gets hate and he gets things told, said about him that's completely not true. Like he doesn't put over talent, which is the dumbest fucking thing you've ever, I've ever heard in my life. Goddamn, put, put over Shaq for Christ's sake. So Cody comes out, he says, I hear you. I know that you're booing me and I could have turned heel. I could have hit the pedigree. He didn't mention the pedigree by name. 
and it would be too easy. And that's why I'm not. And he said, I will not turn. And that reminded me so much of Luke Skywalker when Darth Vader was trying to get him to turn to the dark side. He's like, I will not turn or I will not fight you. And it's same kind of vibe. So I'm interested to see if that corrosion from within that it was so like uh, beautifully called by Excalibur, that black mist into Cody's life, so to speak, which um, Malachi Black has alluded to. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where Cody's character goes. So he cuts this amazing promo, got some people cheering. He brought fact. They never hasn't done it in a long time, but he said, hey, I know people give a lot of love to the guy who writes checks, but don't forget the guy who helped build this bank. And that's Cody. If Cody didn't make a bet with Dave Meltzer, maybe none of this has happened. So Cody did a very good job of reminding us that that's exactly what is happening, that he is who he is. And Cody, I think, won a lot of that crowd over. I think well, it, all they got to do is give him a mic and he'll be fine and they'll stop booing him. But, I mean, when was the last really good promo we got before this one? I don't even remember it. I literally don't remember the last really good promo that Cody Rhodes got. He was cutting them every other week when this company started and Dynamite started. So good, he was the guy when the pandemic hit that consoled all of us for the first time. That's how over Cody was as a babyface. He was the one that they sent out to address COVID and what's going to happen during these uncertain times. Like all times aren't uncertain. Unprecedented times, maybe, but not uncertain times. Fuck, everything's uncertain. Your life lesson from Silicon Steve Valley today. You're listening to Gen Zen Broadcasting Company. Uh, <laughs> and so Cody does that. Cody comes out now, and or when Cody's out there, I apologize. So after Cody's done talking, Andrade El Idolo, who cut the best promo in English I've ever seen him cut. It was mwah, chef's kiss good. He said... Cody, I don't, these people don't like you. These people don't like me. The only difference is I don't care about these people. He's like, you make really stupid decisions. And the first one is that stupid tattoo pointing to his neck. And somebody had to say it. So I congratulate you. I congratulate you with the zinger of the week. And this was a week that MJF cut a promo. So great job. This is an unofficial contest. Our, 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 the winner of our first three zingers of the week have been all MJF. It's fuck. So this is the first time someone gets the zinger of the week. Ah, and who would have thought it would have been Andrade Alidado, but he did. That stupid tattoo. That stupid tattoo. Oh, perfect. Uh, then Malachi Black comes out, and they're not done, but then Pat comes out. And Pac was great. A little bit of a fuck up on the camera, though, because Pac did his whole thing where he did the jumping in midair, flipping, and then sitting down, a la Malachi Black, and they kind of missed it. But then Pac gives a double finger. I really like this guy as a baby face. He's like a British Stone Cold with unbelievable talent. So uh, the, that, and now I want to talk about the main event for switching over to the main event, um, which saw the Dark Order members of the Dark Order, which was Colt Cabana, and this is off the top of my head, let's see if I got it. Colt Cabana, John Silver, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson against all four members of the super elite that's actually decent. And with no disrespect to Brandon Cutler and Nakamura, but you know what I'm saying. So super elite comes out in Ghostbuster outfits and the entire internet that doesn't like AEW or watch AEW, a bunch of people who never watch AEW, Thought it was the dumbest fucking thing they ever didn't see. Killed it. Tweets like Adam Cole left WWE for this. This is really what you guys think is entertaining. And it's just pictures of the of the elite dressed up as the Ghostbusters. Folks, I guess it could have been better if it was a food fight. How many Halloween parties? Ended in a food fight over the years on Raw or SmackDown. 
Yes, this was a goofy spot. This was a goofy episode. It was a very entertaining match. It was a very fun match with a great spot at the end that they set up really well. I think so. What happened was if you did not see it, they came up with a theme of the Ghostbusters. That's what they came out as. The Dark Order, we've got to set this up. The Dark Order came out. Evil Uno and Great, I don't know who Kranos is, but I guess Stu Grayson was Kranos. Evil Uno was a cowboy. He's one, and there was two cowboys. And there was two members of the Dark Order, presumably Alan Angels and presumably Alan Angels and number 10, Preston Vance. In, as in a horse suit. But the four wrestlers were going to be Cabana. So all the Dark Order is there, apparently. On the outside is is Silver, Five, and allegedly Preston Vance in the horse costume. So they come out. Then everyone in the elite come out. All the the four major guys, Adam Cole, Kenny Omega, and the Bucks dressed up as Ghostbusters. Um, Supposedly, Brandon Cutler as a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and Nakamura like a baby, and I'm not sure... It said baby. I don't. I guess he was a baby, but he wasn't Ghostbuster related. And I really think that was just horrible story storyline. You know, if you're gonna do the Ghostbusters thing, Elite, can you make sure all members are dressed accordingly? Unless Nakamura was playing Baby Oscar from Ghostbusters Two. Vigo wanted to. Anyway, that was a shitty movie. Um, so that's that. The sage is set. So you have Nakamura. Baby Nakamura and supposedly Stay Puft Marshall, a man, Brandon Cutler on the outside for the elite. And on the other side, you have the horse, which is Alan Angels and, and Preston Vance, 10 and 5. And then one of the other cowboys, John, and the other cowboys, and I kept my, I called him Silver. I'm sorry, Alex Reynolds. And you have Alex Reynolds dressed up as a cowboy. By the way, John Silver was cute as a button. He is the cutest. Did you see him in the little band, the outfit? Sorry. Don't tell my wife. Anyway, so John Silver. <laughs> figured I'd play along. John Silver dressed up as Bambi. Valley hungry. John Silver, Eva Uno as the cowboy as well. Uh, Silver as Bambi. Kranos for Stu Greatness. And my favorite costume of the night, Colt Cabana as Brandon Cutler, who apparently is the same plush Mark Bellman. So anyways, very entertaining match. Go back and watch it. There were a couple spots that were definitely goofy. They should have, they did a spot where the proton packs were apparently really dangerous. They were toy proton packs. I mean, they should have showed them when they were filled with some kind of what have you. Just little, but I mean, I'm not going to bitch about details. I mean, they nail every other detail, so I'm not going to go crazy about it. But it was a fun match. Toward the end of the match, things get a little crazy. The elite have the upper hand. And then the front part of the horse runs down the aisle from the Dark Order. And then the other, the other two guys in the Dark Order chase after them. They all jump on top of the ring apron. The horse is trying to get in the ring. Reynolds and and five are taken out, not allowed in. And then the horse comes in. The horse is seemingly trying to explain something to all four members of the ghost busting elite. While the dark order is banged up on the outside. So now inside the ring, you have the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, the horse, and all four members of the elite. Ghostbuster Elite. Something, so then Matt, so then Matt Jackson kicks the horse guy right in the nuts. Presumably either Preston, we assume Preston Vance is what I think they were trying to go after, but Preston Vance was in a fight earlier in the game day with Moxley. So, but they didn't make it clear they weren't sure who it was. And, And they didn't really mention Hangman too much about being part of the scenario. So that's why I knew it was, I knew it was coming, but it was funny. You know what I mean? So Matt Jackson kicks his horse in the balls. Then they do a super elite V trigger four way. And then the big unveil and Brandon Cutler is underneath the horse. 
So he it was not. So that means, well, if that was happening, who the hell is the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? Well, three members of the elite get pulled out by members of the Dark Order, and it was just Matt Jackson and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Big reveal. Not too bad. Big reveal, Adam Hangman Page. And he knocks Nick Jackson's head off. Crowd pops. The referee was down because he accidentally got super kicked. And Hangman kicks ass. Kenny goes after him, hits him with the dead arrow. Kenny's out. And then John Silver, my... John Silver hits... His finisher, and I forget the name of it. Something about a round, round merry-go-round or something. Anyways, I'm really unprofessional. It's just every time I think of John Silver, I... Sorry. Every, but Spinneroonie, maybe it's called? I don't know. My mind's gone. But he hits him with the finisher, pins Matt Jackson, the Dark Order with the big upset over the Elite. And a celebratory time with everybody celebrating in their, their, their Halloween costumes, celebrating with Hangman Adam Page. Just another step make and build to November 13th to build a fill gear, which I anticipate to be the best match of the year in terms of at least singles. It's going to be hard to top every time the fucking Young Bucks fight for a title. But I think in terms of singles, I think Hangman and Kenny, we already know what they can do. And um, this is the last chapter of this story, I believe, and, and what a story it's been two years in the making and uh, very, very excited for, for what we got left coming over the next couple of weeks. But this is the, the, the home stretch of the storyline. So if you guys have enjoyed it, do yourselves a favor and uh, go, go back and look at the history of this match, of this, of this feud. You can spend a half hour building the storyline mixing in and out all the stuff and all the drama that happened with the Bucks and all the drama that's happened between Brandon. And, and I mean, this storyline is so many moving pieces. To it. And so I just want to tip the hat right there. Uh, it's been the best storyline in wrestling. And it looked like it was going to come to an end in May, but they didn't. And then it didn't. And then it seemed like AEW was meandering a little bit. And I think what they were doing is waiting for the live crowds to come back so they can do all this awesome stuff that they're doing right now. So, folks, this is just the finishing up of the first of the really great first two major two years story of Dynamite. There are tons to come out. Uh, check out Rampage tonight or or check it out Hulu or wherever you can watch it. And CM Punk's cut a promo, hoping he actually starts a major program with somebody. I love these great matches he's having. But now it's time to sick your stink, sick. Your, now it's time for us to give CM Punk something he can really sink his teeth into and really work his promos and really do what he does best. The rush should be away now. So let's get going with the CM Punk storylines, guys. I can't keep on defending this shit. These WWE guys. And by the way, WWE folks, well, you know I'm fair about WWE as well. And, and you just heard what I said about Vince and Stephanie. So if anyone thinks he never said a Vince, I'm honest. High spots and cheap pops are honest. And we don't have an agenda. We don't have a bias. I love WWE. WWE has probably entertained me more than any other entity on the planet. But to quote the great Uma Thurman, when Baron Corbin's walking down the street, well, you can still love the people you love, even if you walk across the street to avoid them. So when I bash WWE, it's not coming from a place of hate and fuck them. It's coming from a place of they could have been so much better over the last 15 years. And they didn't care about the art. They cared about the money. And that's why there's anger. I love WWE. I love a lot of the wrestlers that are there. Most of the wrestlers that are there. I love some of the people that work there. And that's why this isn't fun to bash them when I do. But we have been giving a shit sandwich for the better part of two decades. And there's nothing we can do about it. You either stop watching, which I did for seven years. Until a certain guy cut a pipe bomb promo and a guy I didn't even care a lot or care about or even know much about it by the name of CM Punk cut a pipe bomb promo and he spoke to every professional wrestling 
fan who shut off that television around 2003, 2004, 2005. There was a lot of us. So when I'm critical of WWE, it doesn't come from a place of anger. It comes from a place of love because I want it to be the best product. I want them to have shows like Crown Jewel was. I want that Crown Jewel. I don't want Goldberg Undertaker. I don't want the bullshit that we've gotten time and time again. I want good wrestling. I want great storylines. And now I notice now WWE is now just getting me to, to the spot of their mediocre a little bit more and great at times. But anytime, but I mean, it was a really good pay-per-view crown jewel, but then they're, they're marked. Their fans are like the best pay-per-view ever much better than all out. And guys, come on, come on. When you say things like that, it's clear you don't watch the product of AEW. So I know where my hate comes from, my anger comes from. I know where my anger comes from for WWE. And I know what where the anger comes from from a lot of professional wrestling fans toward WWE. It comes from the fact that they haven't been giving us what we wanted for so long. And they've lied to us over and over. Right, from now on, you're the authority. WWE has treated us like idiots and numbers just to get our numbers. They kiss our ass. And a lot of their fans know it. That's why their fans chanted CM Punk for seven years. That's why their fans bought beach balls during great tag team matches. That's why their fans chant, we want Wyatt when you release it. When you do things that hurt your product, these are people who have been invested in your company and your storylines and invested since they were kids. I was watching WWE when I was five years old. I know what good pro wrestling is. I saw you do it. And it hasn't been really good for God, for so many. There's been great spots. There's been some phenomenal moments. And those moments have been worth me coming back to watch in 2011. Even more so in 2013. But by and large, that fast forward button is worn out. Four years ago, I decided I'm not going to watch these stupid things that annoy me. And get pissed off about it. I haven't watched the Baron Corbin segment full the way through in four years. That's why he doesn't bother me. Dog food thing. It looked stupid, but I didn't watch it, so I'm not going to be pissed about it. The six gimmicks he's had. Are they still trying to make a main eventer again? No, at least over that portion of the push. All right, I guess that many a mid card that we tried. All right. Give him. You know what? He's never been happy. Ding. Great moments in Vince McMahon creation. Creative. So I just wanted to get that out. So that's why. There are fans of AEW or even other professional wrestling companies who have disdain for WWE. The AEW haters don't watch the product. They don't know anything about it. You can see how they tweet online. They're not watching the product. They don't know what's going on. They assume that it's run like WWE and they're doing the same. And the, the things that they're watching are in the same context of what WWE would be. If WWE did a Ghostbusters thing, it would have been fucking idiotic. Because they wouldn't do it right. It wouldn't have been genuine. This was eight wrestlers having a great time wrestling for people. Being entertaining. Making you laugh. Making you pop. WWE would do it. The wrestlers would hate it. And it would be obvious that they hate it. And it would be a disaster. You don't believe me? Look at that Alexa Bliss belly segment. Or that doctor fucking thing, that old day situation that they did with uh, the Good Brothers. You know, when WWE tries things like that, it's not genuine. If anyone knows Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Adam Cole, that was their idea. They're like, let's do the Ghostbusters. And, they, 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 and you saw this idea. And their idea worked beautifully. It was well done. If you didn't watch it, why well, tweet it? That's the other thing. I'm really challenging WWE fans. 
if you didn't watch it nor care about it, what possesses you to go on your phone, spend time out of your day to go on your phone, rattle a cage about something you allegedly don't care about and don't like, you're going to spend time tweeting something, maybe tagging somebody, maybe quoting me. I forget who the son of a bitch was, but somebody quoted my name to make fun of something that had, and, and the word was, and the idea was, I tweeted, and I'll tell you what the tweet was. The tweet was, I feel like CM Punk bet somebody that he could get the body slam over. Because CM Punk has been using a body spam spot where he picks a guy up three times, gets a spot, and gets a pop. This person wasn't watching AEW. He doesn't know anything about AEW. I'm going to tweet this. He quotes my tweet and says, this is what CM Punk came back to for professional wrestling for. Quote, question mark, a body slam, question mark. This is why... Is this why I should be mad because I don't watch AEW, question mark? If you don't watch or care, why the tweet? You know why you're doing it. And and he was trying to explain that he was really curious. He worded it just like that. He wanted to explain. And and I'm not picking on him. I'm even going to bring up his name. I don't want to embarrass him. But that's the point. If you don't watch the product... Why are you so angry? If you don't care about the product, why are you so mad? Just because we're shitting on WWE? The biggest difference about what we say about WWE, all right, and what you say about AEW is that what we say is true because we've watched the product. We've seen it in action. Shut your mouths unless you watch. If you want to watch and complain, I can't I can't stop you because hey, look, go back and listen to our show back in May. I was burying WAEW and I was burying their women's division. I was burying what they were doing with Hangman. I was burying the whole company. And I said at the time, I just hope that they're just keeping pushing things, some things off for when the crowds come back soon. That's exactly what they did, clearly. But I killed them. And you're talking about a guy who's been down with AEW before AEW was a thing. I've been following Kenny Omega and the Bucks since 2015. I watched Adam Cole die live on television. I'm playing the elite.